0: This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky.
1: Signs of hope are now emerging at the epicenter of the nation's coronavirus outbreak, although they come with a dose of pain. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced the worst day of death yet.
2: 5,489 New Yorkers have lost their lives to this virus that is up from 4758. That is the largest single day increase.
1: There are, however, new indications of a plateau. The average hospitalization rate over the last three days is down. So are ICU admissions and intubations. However, not getting worse doesn't mean getting better. So social distancing policies continue, and a new temporary hospital began accepting patients. This one's in Staten Island, and it was supposed to be a state-run psychiatric ward. Dr. Eric Choi-Pena at Northwell Health transformed it into a coronavirus ward to take some of the stress off other area hospitals. He's with us from the site now, and... Doc, you pulled this off in six days. How'd you do it?
3: You basically um, have to provision it with supplies. You have to uh, get the staff trained. You have to convert the rooms that are meant for psychiatric patients into medical floors. So you have to get oxygen um, brought in there, um, uh, beds that are medical surgical beds. And uh, and then the, you know, the toughest part is getting it staffed. But uh, we're, we're really fortunate that we're going to be able to do it.
1: It's really quite something, and it comes at a time when the governor is talking about a plateau or apex. Can you tell me what that looks like inside the hospital?
3: Yeah, I mean, so the the, the good news is for the, for the past few days, it looks like we're admitting um, as many, if not just a little bit more, patients than we're discharging. We seem to be leveling off. It's still too early to tell. Um, and the other problem with that figure is we're leveling off amidst um, you know some extreme social distancing measures, and the idea is is that if the public hears oh we 're leveling off, there may be some relaxation on their side, and we might see a secondary spike um, in those numbers. We think we 're leveling off because of the social distancing
1: Is this pace in the hospital sustainable
3: no, I mean yeah I mean if we are leveling off we 're leveling off at a point where the medical resources are stretched you know beyond capacity we we 're all working. Um, as hard as we can to get things done, and this is not uh, something that that is sustainable, no. So I I won't want to conflate the idea that we're leveling off with with everything's fine. We might be fortunate in that there will be less pain than we were anticipating um, over the next two weeks,
1: but still a lot of pain. Can you put that in terms of the patients? We're
3: still seeing large numbers of people coming in with severe illness. Um, it, It really hasn't changed other than the fact that the numbers, which were increasing and doubling every few days, um, have stopped going exponential and appear to be leveling off. So we're still seeing the, the the picture that it looked like on Friday when everyone was really worried is still the same picture that exists today. It's, it's just that we haven't gotten worse than Friday.
1: Breakneck pace for Dr. Eric Choi-Pena and the staff of Northwell's 23-hospital system. All hospitals in this part of New York are near capacity, And the governor was still able to speak about trying to restart our lives and the economy.
2: This is not a light switch that we can just flick one day and everything goes back to normal. We're going to have to restart that economy. We're going to have to restart a lot of systems that we shut down abruptly.
1: The key to that, he said, is testing. Dr. Angela Baldwin of the Montefiore Medical Center and the ABC News Medical Unit is here with us. What does that mean exactly, that testing is the key?
4: Well, for instance, When we know that somebody is no longer um, carrying the virus, then we know that they can quickly return to work. So there are several different types of tests that are available right now. So PCR is our gold standard. These are the tests that amplify and detect the virus's genetic material, or RNA. Uh, The downside is that it can take anywhere from four to six hours to run. Uh, But these tests do tend to have a high sensitivity, meaning that they can accurately detect true positives. Um, Then there's an immunoassay test that detects viral proteins called antigens. It's a dipstick test that works kind of like a pregnancy test. Now, this entire process takes 15 minutes, and they usually have pretty good specificity, meaning that they're unlikely to show a false positive, but they don't have great sensitivity, which means that a positive result might not be helpful for detecting a positive patient, but a negative result won't necessarily mean that a patient is not infected.
1: So that's not great.
4: It depends on how you want to use it and what you're using it for. If, it's, you know, if, if speed is of the, of the essence, then a test that has uh, low sensitivity but high specificity is probably okay. Because, again, if it tests positive, then you know that you've got a positive, and that's great. You're good to go.
1: So that's the rapid testing to determine whether someone has the virus. What about antibody testing?
4: Now, we're still waiting on the widespread distribution of serology tests. So those other two tests that I mentioned, they can only tell you whether or not you have the virus now. They can't tell you if you've had it before. Serology testing will detect the antibodies a person has made against the COVID-19 virus in the past. So those antibodies, once they are detected, the person knows that they've already been exposed to the virus before.
1: Because so far there's no evidence that once you've had it or been exposed and didn't get sick, that you can get it again?
4: So that's an interesting question. There are possibly two different strands of this COVID virus it is feasible to get infected with one strand, recover, and then get infected with the other strand and, you know, recover again. Um, However, there is one strand that is much more prominent. That's the one that we are seeing worldwide. And we do know that people who get infected with the virus do create antibodies. And we believe that these antibodies do confer immunity. We just don't know for how long. So the thinking is that hopefully... If you've been exposed, your body has created these antibodies, and you do have at least some layer of immunity for for the time being. There's a hope that once you've been infected, you hopefully won't go through the same level of symptomatology again if you're exposed to the virus again.
1: Dr. Angela Baldwin from the ABC News Medical Unit. Now, some states cannot even think about the aftermath yet. Michigan is now third on the list of states with the most coronavirus cases in the country. Dr. Nick Gilpin from Beaumont Health joins us now from Detroit. You're right there in the thick of it.
5: Yes, uh, it, it, you know, and, and I think that what we're seeing is um, COVID really just ripping through Detroit, and, and now I think we're even starting to see a little bit, to a slightly lesser extent, we're starting to see COVID move into Flint.
1: It seemed like Michigan vaulted to the top three of coronavirus infections almost overnight. Did it feel like it happened quickly, being on the front lines there?
5: It's a blur. Uh, it, it feels like it happened incredibly fast. I, I still remember um, when we had our first case. I still remember um, when we unfortunately had our first patient that succumbed to COVID. And and then everything since then just feels absolutely like a blur. It, it, it came on so hard and so fast. I don't know that any level of preparedness would have necessarily been enough for something this ferocious. Um, I I, I like to think that we were prepared. I like to think that we've taken all the right steps and done everything that we can do. But but this is just something like the likes of which I've never seen or anyone else has ever seen before.
1: I know you've got a lot of healthcare workers that have tested positive throughout the system can you give me a sense of how you guys are coping not only with the influx of patients but also with the influx of hospital workers who are getting sick
5: yeah I think when we first started this journey um, what feels like a hundred years ago was really only about three or four weeks ago when we had our first case at Beaumont in about mid-March and at the time we were concerned most with our testing capacity And that quickly ramped up and and then we became more concerned about our personal protective equipment or ppe Um, and then as time has dragged on and on i think the thing that i and others have become most concerned about is our staff Um, that's the thing that frankly keeps me up at night i worry about our staff not just themselves getting sick and we certainly have had a fair number of staff get sick but i worry about them you know physically working long hours in grueling conditions, taking care of extremely sick patients. I worry about them emotionally and psychologically. I mean, this is hard work. People are dying, and, and it's it's difficult to, to live with that day in and day out. I think our staff has done a phenomenal job. I'm incredibly proud of them, but I can't stop myself from worrying about them constantly. You know, I, I'm not completely certain, that the result of all these uh, uh, um, illnesses that we're seeing in healthcare workers is necessarily something that's happening in our hospitals. I mean, we also have to be mindful of the fact that COVID is in our communities. And I think that, um, I I hope that our healthcare workers are doing what they're supposed to do, washing their hands and social distancing, but I also recognize that that's a significant contributor here and it it can be difficult to do in in a big city.
1: Dr. Nick Gilpin at Beaumont Health in Detroit. And coming up, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, our chief medical correspondent, answers your questions about coronavirus. I'm Aaron Katursky, and you're listening to an ABC News special.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent, Amy Robach
6: helping us dig into the facts today as always is ABC chief medical correspondent Dr. Jen Ashton and Dr. Jen we want to begin
7: today with our pets what do we know about how the virus will affect them Amy, it seems like all the attention is focusing on those large cats, the tiger in the Bronx Zoo. Um, So here's what we know at this point. We know that coronavirus as a family can infect animals. Right now, there's limited data about its infections in dogs and cats. It can cause mild respiratory illness uh, in animals, but it doesn't appear that the animals are spreading it to humans. But speaking of animals, what do we think we know about how this virus
6: originated?
7: Well, if you go back to the very beginning of this outbreak, Amy, you probably remember the theory that this particular strain of coronavirus originated in bats. We think that's where it started. We don't think that pets can actually spread this to humans, even though there's that chain of transmission um, starting in bats. And so what we don't know is whether or not pets can actually carry the virus, correct? Exactly. Just because it's been detected in their noses and mouths doesn't mean that they can spread it to us. In fact, um, we still don't know whether the virus can live on their fur, and we don't know the intermediate host. Remember, we think it started in bats and then jumped to another type of animal before spreading to humans, and we don't know what that middle intermediate host is yet.
6: Yeah, still so much to learn about this virus. We appreciate it. We're going to be checking in with you in just a bit, Dr. Jen. On Sunday, Mississippi became one of the latest states that declared a major disaster area by President Trump amid the coronavirus outbreak. The state has now over 1,700 confirmed cases and over 50 people dead. Here to talk to us more about the impact COVID-19 has had on Mississippi is Governor Tate Reeves. Welcome to you, Governor. And I know that a statewide stay-at-home order was placed into effect for Mississippi just this past Friday at 5 p.m. A lot of people asking, why not sooner?
8: Well, thank you for having me. We made a decision to issue the shelter in place. We believe shelter in place orders uh, should be short term in nature that you cannot expect uh, people to comply uh, if you do it for weeks and weeks and months and months on end. And so we believe the most important tool that we can use in the shelter in place is to do it at this point in the cycle. You know, different states are at different points in the cycle. We actually had Uh, other measures in place for weeks and weeks before we did the shelter in place, including uh, in ensuring social distancing and outlawing groups of 10 or more.
6: So, Governor, give me a sense of how your state is holding up right now uh, as we're in this pandemic.
8: Well, we're hanging in there. You know, we've got a lot of people that are scared that have the virus. We've got a lot of people who don't have the virus that are scared. We've got literally tens of thousands of Mississippians that are scared to death because they've lost their jobs in the last two to three weeks. So we've got not only a public health crisis, but we also have an economic crisis on our hands when trying to, to to come out of this.
6: I'm curious how concerned you are about the increase in cases that is likely going to happen for your state and specifically about the spread that may happen along some of the more rural areas, more com- rural communities in your state.
8: Well, we're very concerned about the, the spread. We actually had a, approximately 180 new cases overnight, so we're up to 1,918 cases. We had approximately eight deaths overnight, so we're up to 59 deaths. So we're very concerned about it. We have implemented our plan. We believe that we could be as as many as 390 beds short for all patients. Uh, and again, we're trying to plan for the worst, pray for the best, and expect somewhere in between. So I implemented our measures yesterday to increase our bed capacity in both north and south Mississippi to ensure that we have an adequate number of beds um, it's a challenge across the country, and it's going to be a challenge here as well.
6: Yeah, and, and I'm curious how you feel the federal government and the White House have handled this pandemic so far, especially as it pertains to your state.
8: Well, we certainly appreciate President Trump's support. Uh, he has been diligent and Vice President Pence and the entire coronavirus task force have been communicating with governors every single day uh, throughout this crisis. We appreciate uh, his support. We understand in, in Mississippi that disasters are state-managed locally executed and federally supported. So it is imperative that governors step up and lean into this in these difficult times. And and we've had the support of the federal government if and when we needed it.
7: What
6: is your message to the people of Mississippi right now?
8: Stay safe, stay home, stay smart. If we will all do what we've been asked to do for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be able to get out of this uh, and we're going to be even uh, stronger uh, coming out of it.
6: Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time today.
8: Thank you for having me.
6: It is definitely uplifting in these times to see survivors of COVID-19 share their stories of recovery. And you may recall we spoke with Utah Congressman Ben McAdams when he was first hit with his illness. Well, now we have a promising update.
2: I wanted to share a quick happy update. Um, I was just released from the hospital and uh, I'm heading home. So I want to thank everybody for your many thoughts and prayers and so many people who um, reached out to me on social media.
6: We are so happy for Representative McAdams. He joins us now from Utah to share his experience. Congressman, I know when we last spoke, I saw the updates that you were then rushed to the hospital, and I had been following how you were doing. It's been a really rough go for you. So tell us how you're doing now.
2: You know, it hit me really hard, but I'm doing so much better right now. I'm virus-free, and they've told me that I can uh, be out of quarantine. I still am practicing social distancing and being uh, remaining isolated, but doing so much better. You know, when I was in the hospital, I lost 13 pounds wow. and just you know, had no appetite, and it really hit me pretty hard. But no, it, I'm back it, on my feet and, and back at work.
6: It is certainly a, a frightening thing for anyone to 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 go through. How did your family handle it? How are they doing?
2: You know, it was kind of rough on my family because you know, they can't receive visitors, so we would FaceTime or we'd talk on the phone as much as we could. But even some of the some of the worst days while I was in the hospital, I just didn't have the energy to carry on a conversation, so we'd have some brief conversations and I'd let them know that I was doing okay. I was on supplemental oxygen, but um, we're much better now. My family was quarantined because of their exposure to me, but either none of them got it or they had a really mild case. So uh, everybody's doing really well right now.
6: I mean, you are certainly a cautionary tale and, and more evidence that this can happen to anyone at any point. What do you want to share about what you experienced?
2: I'm young. I'm 45 years old. I'm healthy. I exercise every day and it hit me really hard. So for those people who think that they don't fall in a risk category, please take this seriously and follow the guidance of our public health officials. If not for your sake, do it for your friends or your loved ones who you might expose or or just be part of, of slowing this uh, the spread of this dangerous virus, flattening the curve, So that we can treat those people who it does hit hard because it could happen to anyone, as you said.
6: Yep, it certainly can. And now that you've been through the worst personally, you still have uh, that professional role out there that can do something. So what's next for Congress in order to help the American people who are also suffering? And you know more than anyone else what that's truly like.
2: You know, this is this is really unprecedented in the way it's hitting so many people. And and the, the best and most important thing we can do is slow the spread of this virus. The best thing we can do for the economy or to alleviate the hardship on American families is to slow the spread. So we've got to uh, act first to ensure that testing is available, that we're protecting our frontline health care workers and those essential workers, that they have what they need to stay healthy and that we can slow the spread of this virus. And then we've got to really focus on the hardship that this has placed, the shutdown has placed on American families. So uh, I think some of the small business uh, loans and and assistance that we've given, we probably need more of that to support our small businesses. Uh, We've got to make sure that those stimulus and stability checks, to hardworking families, that those are processed and they make it to them so that they can pay their rent and put food on the table. And you know, that's an important job of Congress. And Much of what we can do, I'm working from home right now, Congress can can work in an isolated fashion, but part of our job is essential uh, in passing that legislation and making sure that the relief is available to hardworking families. And so we've got to continue to craft legislation, work in a bipartisan fashion with President Trump, Republicans and Democrats working together because we are uh, first and foremost Americans. We've got to work together to bring forward that legislation that can, can really Uh, provide some relief to to those families that are really feeling the hardship of this pandemic.
6: Yeah. Congressman Ben McAdams, we are certainly happy that you are healthy and fit enough to work for others now that you've been through the worst of it. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. And still ahead here on what you need to know, help is on the way for parents who have had it with keeping their kids entertained all day. We have fresh and fun new ideas for the entire family from Catherine McCord. Stay with us.
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: Welcome back. It's no secret that one of the hardest parts of quarantine is keeping up with ways to keep your kids entertained. And fortunately for us, the founder of Wheelicious and One Potato and author of Smoothie Project, here to share tips on how to cure your kids' boredom. Welcome Catherine McCord. And I know you have three little ones at home. I have three teenagers at home. So we're all struggling in our own ways. What's the hardest part of all of this?
9: I would say the hardest part is just keeping schedules. So at this point, you know the schedules are shifting. Some people have spring break. Some people um, are back to school. So just trying to, you know, create boundaries between, you know, myself, a working mom, my husband's working, and the kids being in school, and we have a four-year-old.
6: Right. So boundaries sounds great. Really hard to implement. What are some ways you've set them for working from home with your kids now in the house with you?
9: Yeah, so one of the things that I did was I sat my kids down and we made a sign together. It has a green light, which I keep on most of the time when I'm working. Um, but then when I have a conference calls or projects that are due, I'll switch it over. And when I have it on the red, it's like a stop sign. They're like, oh, whoa, I, I, I definitely can't go in right now.
6: That's a great idea. I love that. And you've also come up with some other really awesome ways to cure boredom in your house.
9: Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, like one of the best ways I always think is cooking, because especially, you know, whether parents know it or not, you have 21 meals plus snacks that you're responsible for per child. So um, one of the things we love to do is make smoothies, great way to get a lot of nutrition in your family. You can do it together, whole ingredients, really easy. Um, You know, some of the other ones are like banana sushi, uh, where you take the banana, really, really simple, roll it in, you know, some fun, Um, like whipped cream cheese or peanut butter and some sprinkles or coconut or whatever you want to do or even things like animal sandwiches let your kids like dig through um you know get some cookie (laughs) cutters and really make them their own
6: i love the next one because we're all trying to figure out ways to do this get moving i love your idea
9: Yeah. So one of the things we've been doing is just dancing and it seems so silly, but I have three kids. I let them each pick a different song and we'll just turn it on. Sometimes it's just like a faux karaoke. Sometimes we're just like really just dancing, burning some energy and trying to you know just turn this time into as much fun as possible.
6: Yeah. It's hard not to have fun when you're all dancing. I love that. Catherine Record, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we turn again now to Dr. Jen Ashton, who has been there for us throughout it all. She has the answers to all of your latest questions. Dr. Jen, we'll start with the first one. Why has it been said that this week is more important than last or next to stay at home? Dr. Burks said to even skip the drugstore and grocery.
7: I think there are a couple of reasons for that, Amy, and we have to remember that These predictions are made with the use of multiple kinds of models that are only as good as the data that is put into them. So that input, which is based on confirmed cases, hospitalizations, ICU admissions and deaths, because we're not really able to track silent transmission yet in this country. So I think when Dr. Burke said this week is the week, it's based partially on predictions. Um, So no different than we predict anything else. But part of the reason she said stay home is because we don't want you to get sick this week and then overburden the healthcare systems, which may be at their peak this week. But again, usually what we see in the hospitals is lagging two to three weeks or maybe even longer since someone got infected. Can the virus be spread through
6: smoke from a cigarette? I would assume smoke must contain droplets.
7: That is a great question, and it hasn't been studied yet. But what we do know from two small published reports uh, out of China that People who smoke were at 13 times greater risk of death from COVID-19. So this is kind of a a true, true and related that if you smoke, now is as good a time as any to try to quit or at least cut down because we don't know what the risks are uh, to smokers, nor do we know if exhaled smoke, secondhand smoke, can carry these viral particles. All right. Another reason
6: to quit. All right. Our next question. If a person suffers from high blood pressure and thyroid problems, does it put them at higher risk to get COVID-19?
7: So we're still learning more about what qualifies as a comorbidity or pre-existing medical condition that increases risk of serious complications or death with COVID-19. We know that hypertension or high blood pressure is one of them. There's nothing so far on thyroid disease. But again, you know, any kind of chronic medical condition Ideally, you have a health care provider. You want to be in close contact by phone or telemedicine with that person right now just to, to make some plans. And if you're feeling any symptoms, to be in touch with that person. People will be opening their swimming
6: pools and hot tubs soon. Does chlorine have any impact on COVID-19?
7: Chlorine kills a lot. And um, the CDC actually has uh, a report on there that There is no evidence right now that coronavirus can be passed along in hot tubs or swimming pools. And as we get warmer in various parts of the country, you know, we're, we don't know how the summer is going to look in terms of those kind of activities, whether we'll have to still social distance, but still can be in pools. But chlorine kills a lot of things, and there's no evidence that coronavirus exists in swimming pool water right now.
6: Our next question, does having sleep apnea make an individual
7: more susceptible to COVID-19? We don't know, but what we do know about sleep apnea is those machines that a lot of people with obstructive sleep apnea use, CPAP or BiPAP machines, can actually spread coronavirus very Mm. rapidly and aggressively into their environment. Um, So if you have been diagnosed with sleep apnea, Also, you want to be in touch with that physician um, about any kind of changes in your sleep patterns, in your machine, in your equipment, if you were to develop symptoms, because anything that can affect the lungs potentially increases the risk of complications with COVID-19.
6: Well, but I hadn't thought about the machine actually being a spreading mechanism. All right, that's good to know. Uh, Our next question, what is used in disinfecting spray that it says on the label on the back of it that, that it can
7: kill human coronavirus? Amy, I have gotten this question from so many people. One of our crew actually brought me the bottle of wipes (laughs) way back in the end of January and showed this to me. And the reason for that is that bleach or Clorox, um, kills a number of pathogens, viruses, bacteria, and coronaviruses have been around since the 1960s. So it, does, it is active against the coronavirus family, and there's no evidence that there's anything resistant to bleach or Clorox in this new strain. Dr. Jen, thank you so much. And you can com- submit
6: your questions to Dr. Ashton on her Instagram at Dr. J. Ashton. Coming up next right here, when we come back, the father-daughter financial experts with some steps For increasing your financial peace in times of great uncertainty and going the extra mile, literally, for small businesses and healthcare workers. What's bringing runner Dave Kilgore back to his feet when we come back?
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special COVID 19 What You Need to Know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: Welcome back. As unemployment rises in record numbers and retirement accounts drop in value, we all find ourselves on edge financially. Here to calm those fears and give us some helpful tips are two very popular personal finance experts who also just so happen to be father and daughter, Rachel Cruz and Dave Ramsey. Thank you both for joining us. And Dave, whether it's because they lost their job or they're watching their 401k lose value, we know Americans are obviously worried about their money. So is there a general tip on how we can all find some financial peace right now?
10: Well, I think the first thing you do is as an act of your will, you have to say, I'm not going to panic. My friend Dr. Art Laffer says that people never make good decisions when they're panicked or when they're drunk. And uh, you can make decisions with your money right now that could affect you for a decade just because of the freak out. It's normal to be afraid in times like this. But I'm old and I've seen a whole bunch of things affect the economy come and go, uh, all the way back to Y2K and 911 and 2008. And I can promise you, all the historical data is this too shall pass. You're going to be okay. Calm down and make good, solid, critical thinking decisions.
6: What advice do you give people about paying off debt right now?
10: Well, I think there's two situations that people find themselves in primarily. One is, is there some of the uh, 10 million or so people that have lost their jobs in America right now. And that's a crisis situation for you. Uh, I've been there. I know how scary that is to not have an income. And if you're in that situation, you stop everything. Uh, you take care of food first, utility second, shelter which is your rent your mortgage third keep gas in the car look for an alternative income and you just batten down and don't worry about the other stuff. Don't don't be current on your MasterCard and not be putting food on your table. People sometimes worship at the altar of the great FICO, and this is not the time to do that. The other group of people is there are two people that are doing very well. Their finances are good, but they're watching all this hurricane happening around them. Maybe, maybe he drives for FedEx and maybe she's a teacher. Those, those are stable incomes right now. They could just continue their financial plan. In neither case do you cash out your 401k unless it's to avoid a foreclosure or a bankruptcy.
6: All right, good advice there. And Rachel, speaking of advice, I know you've learned a lot about finance from your dad. A lot of parents out there may be looking for opportunities to teach their kids about money right now.
9: Yes, it's a great time. They're home from school, obviously. So implement some things. Let them work and actually make some money around the house. Again, a small amount of money because not everyone has that to spare. But teaching them to give, save and spend the money they do earn. And then if you are in a situation where you have lost a job and you know the budget is going to be really tight and maybe life looks differently than it did three months ago for your household, talk to them about that. Share, but don't scare. I think that's so Ooh, important. That's yeah, I, I love that. Share, but don't
6: scare. And I understand you two are giving something away to help everyone out there. So tell us all about it.
10: Well, for 30 years, we've taught a class called Financial Peace University. Almost 10 million people have been through it. And for the first time ever, because everybody's sitting at home, we decided, hey, we're going to make it completely available free for a 14-day free trial. Uh, you can get it at DaveRamsey.com slash hope. And it's actually got Rachel's uh, Smart Money, Smart Kids curriculum in it as well. But you can go through the nine lessons and learn how to handle money. And uh, then you can teach your kids how to handle money. It's all completely free for 14 days.
6: That is wonderful. We really appreciate that. And I know so many people out there do, too, as well. Dave Ramsey, Rachel Cruz, thank you for helping us all. We appreciate your time. All right, we're going to turn now to Dr. Jen
7: Ashton for her final thoughts on this Tuesday. Jen? Amy, I wanted to share with you, I'm thinking back and doing some self-reflecting as a doctor and as a scientist since we've been covering this story for basically two months now. And there were three things that I've really evolved kind of my perspective on, One of them was our overall risk. And we heard from the CDC and Dr. Fauci early on the risk to the American public was low. Now that's changed because of a lot of factors. So again, in medicine and science, we always try to keep an open mind and it's in our nature to go back and do a debrief or a postmortem and reassess how we responded uh, to see if it can improve how we will respond to things in the future. Um, So stratifying risk was one thing that has definitely evolved. The other, you remember this, um, my travel plans. I I said in January I wasn't canceling any travel plans. I would have never imagined that really our travel would be locked down uh, temporarily like it is, including my own, obviously. So that's been a surprise. And then lastly, the guidance from the CDC on the use of masks for the general public to help reduce the spread to others. That's a huge turnaround that, again, we said uh, over a month ago there was really no place for. But I think the important thing for people when they hear confusion. Um, and and information change is to understand that in science and medicine, we have to take things in with an open mind. Because if we don't, if we assume we know it all, we stop learning. And this virus is not even four months old. There's a lot to learn. And it is definitely teaching us every day, myself included.
6: There's a lesson in it for all of us. We appreciate it. Dr. Jen Ashton, thank you so much. And there is much more here on what you need to know. The athlete lending a helping hand while on foot. What runner Dave Kilgore is up to when we come back.
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: New York runner David Kilgore wanted to use his skill set to help small businesses and healthcare workers. So David went on a 100-mile fundraising run around his hometown of Palm Bay, Florida. And David plans on using that money he raised to purchase gift cards from financially impacted running stores in New York City. And David says those gift cards will then be donated to frontline medical workers in New York, allowing them to purchase supportive shoes from struggling businesses at no cost to them. Here to discuss his fundraising effort is none other than David Kilgore. Thanks for so much for joining us, David. This is a very, it's a great idea. First of all, a very creative one indeed. So what inspired you to do this?
11: Um, yeah. So basically it all kind of started with um, when COVID-19 started spreading throughout the U.S. and a lot of the, the races and events started getting canceled. As that evolved, um, I came back from uh, New York City as it kind of started to expand in the city down to my hometown in Palm Bay, Florida to kind of get away and um, as we knew that the virus is kind of getting worse up there, and to kind of stay out of the stay out of that a little bit, and so I was looking for like a new way to challenge myself. So I was talking to a buddy of mine, Brendan Clark, um, a photographer and videographer who was who was out there with us. And um, I was like, "Hey, I'm thinking about uh, running 100 miles. Would you be down to like photo, photograph it and stuff?" And he was like, "Yes, definitely. That sounds great." And so, kind of through through that, um, I started to kind of like connect the dots as well. As like, well, if we're gonna do this, like. I would love to find a way to connect a bunch of different people. So I kind of learned about like Instagram live where people could kind of jump into the screen and interact together. So I was like, what if I went for a really long run and was able to connect and communicate with people from all around the world? And they were able to work out with me, whether it was inside or outside or run along with me. And I was like, I think that'd be awesome. And then I kept kind of like expanding the idea um, because I personally work uh, in the footwear industry as well and uh, work with a lot of these run specialty retailers up in New York City. So I was like, okay, well, if we have this big audience as well, what if I just put up a donation page and we're able to um, raise a little bit of money and give back to these uh, struggling retail partners? David, I'm curious, um, how, much money,
6: I, how much money have you raised?
11: So, yeah, we are up to uh, $15,500, so right over that. So really stoked on that.
6: That's amazing. And any advice you would give to someone out there who's trying to figure out how they can help use their skill sets?
11: Yeah, definitely. So I, I think just kind of trying to be like imaginative and inventive, and like um, everybody has their own unique kind of skill sets and uh, attributes that that they can use. I know like different chefs in the city are donating um, different meals to healthcare workers. I know um, different runners throughout um, throughout the throughout the world now have contacted me saying like they like the idea that they're going to put on their own kind of like race or yeah. event, and they couldn't do 100 miles, but they're putting their own little tweak on it. So. I would just say try to, like, uh, hone in on your own, like, uh, unique skill sets and try to, like, build off that and um, use, use what you have yeah, and uh, try to give back.
6: It's beautiful how you're inspiring others to, to get up there, to keep moving and also to help people in the process. So it's a total win-win. David Kilgore, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and uh, love, love all your running uh, and how much you're inspiring everyone around you. And that is what you need to know for this Tuesday. We want to thank you for joining us. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening.
0: ABC News. Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice.
7: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.